on this week's Euro Trips podcast. Liverpool slip up in the title race. Arsenal create a gap between themselves and Spurs. Whilst out in Italy, both Milan teams win to continue the title fight till the very end. All that plus much more on this week's Euro Trips podcast. That's one of a few different intros this week before our Lord Commander Andy comes back. Um, so we look forward to next week's rendition. But this week I'm joined <laughs> by Mr. Naeem Page himself, Mr. Jonathan Dix. And this week our special guest is Jan, Mr. Forza Milan. Uh, he's going to come on and talk all things Serie A with me. going to ask him a few questions about his beloved AC Milan. Before we get into all of that, how are we, gentlemen? Doing well. Yeah, I'm all good here. Yeah, good, thank you. Nervous, apprehensive about this week to come. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, as, I, as I just said, Jan is a AC Milan supporter from, I believe you're from England. I'm yeah, Yes, as I mentioned in the little intro there, we're going to talk about a range of things this week, but they span from Arsenal taking a big step forward to get in Champions League football, whilst Liverpool took a backward step in the title race. Out in Spain, everything's pretty much already done, whilst the major action is, of course, out in Italy, with both the top and the bottom teams still fighting for both the title and to stay in the division. But speaking of which... Italia, the Squadetto, the title, the big cheese, whatever you want to call it, it's well and truly up for grabs between the two big dogs of Milan, both of whom won at the weekend, with Inter coming from behind to beat Empoli 4-2 in a thrilling game, whilst on Sunday evening, Milan, thanks to a brace from Mr Sandro Tonali himself, helped Milan defeat Verona 3-1, and with just two games left, Two points separate Milan to Inter, with the red side of the city facing a potentially difficult game this weekend against Atalanta at the San Siro, with the Nezazuri away at Cagliari, who themselves need points in their bid to stay in the league. At the bottom, the feel-good story of Salernitana. They look set to complete a remarkable comeback and stay in the league for next season. They're currently a point above the relegation zone, and I would say that they are looking likely to stay up. Uh, the only other notable place really left to play for is probably sixth place, which is a, obviously a European spot for next season. Both Roma and Fiorentina, they sit on 59 points, meaning that it's all to play for for that place. But a quick note as well, and a congratulations to... Lecce and Cremonese, both for gaining promotion to Serie A next season, with possibly Monza, who could go up via the playoffs, 
a club owned by Mr. Silvio Berlusconi <laughs> himself. So that will be interesting to see if they can get up. But we've already mentioned him, our special guest, Jan. Got some questions for him regarding his Milan side this season and basically everything that they've gone through this season. Um, first of all, Jan, obviously there'll be people listening and wondering how an English lad is, you know, a, a, an AC Milan supporter, first of all. So how did that sort of come about? Um, well, I'm actually half Italian, so my dad's from Sardinia. Um, oh, okay. And he's spent his whole life supporting Milan. Uh, my granddad supported Milan. Um, so it's basically just being passed through the generations yeah. when I was born. Uh, my first actual item of clothing, my dad put an AC Milan shirt on me and he went, my son's going to be a Milan fan. And <laughs> I have been pretty much ever since then. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've experienced the the glory years of, the later glory years of Berlusconi from, say, 2003 um, to 2007-8 when it was pretty much at its peak in that period for me. And then I've also experienced the, what we call the banter era where, you know, we were finishing seventh, eighth year after year in a slump. And now, luckily, it seems like we're on our way back. Yeah, as Arsenal fans, me and I, and we know all about that. So we, <laughs> we're, we're, we're well put in that regard. But basically, the start of this season, because straight off the bat, did you realistically expect Milan to be a title challenger this season? Obviously, I mentioned it myself at the start of the season that I felt that they could be up there. They could be a surprise team for the title. Obviously, the majority of us thought it would be Juventus or maybe Inter or even Napoli. But did you realistically think back then that you'd be in this position now? Yeah, I, I actually did. I, um, I put it in a prediction that I believed we'd win the league or we'd finish second. The prediction that were actually way off in terms of that was I thought Atalanta would be the side challenging us. I thought Inter would have to drop off losing Hakimi and Lukaku in the summer. I didn't think Juventus would be challenging and it turns out they've not really put a bunch of a fight. So I'll write in that regard. But yeah, absolutely. I thought, you know, we finished second last year, albeit we were quite a few points off finishing first. But we still finished second. We... Recruited fairly well in the summit. It could have been better. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, but the big key was the continuity with um, keeping Pioli in charge, um, renewing Sandra Tonali, getting Tamori to stay. Um, so I firmly believe that we would be challenging for the title, if not winning it. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to say my prediction was so fast, pretty spot on. I just hope we can get it over the line in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, the, the business that they done in the summer was the main reason for me why I said I felt that they had a chance for the title because I believe the summer they had was very, very good. Like you say, they could have maybe done a little bit better. I personally feel like they could have tried to get in uh, a right-sided winger. I feel that's an area where they're still lacking a little bit. Um, we'll move up, go on to that in a, in a little while. But um, obviously... Certain things that have, that people have said, obviously, fans of other clubs more so than not, calling it obviously a poor title this season simply <laughs> because a lot of the other clubs have, have underperformed. Um, I think the only other team really that you can say has performed 
maybe above expectations are Inter as well. As you say, they lost Conte, they lost Lukaku, they lost Hakimi, and nobody really knew how they would re- recover from that. But you know, they've they, they've done well in that regards, and obviously Milan have took giant sort of steps themselves. But what what would you say to to those people who obviously are saying that it's just you know it's almost like a a Leicester City Premier League season where all the other big big teams had poor seasons and Leicester just happened to be there and thereabouts that season. Yeah, I, obviously I respect people's opinions, but I, part of me also thinks it's quite uneducated what people are saying because normally in Serie A you've got Juventus winning it um, clear by so many points, especially over the last decade and you know the bottom of the league, that's pretty, pretty much done. And now we're getting to the point where, you know, the Scudetto is still up for um, winning over the next two weeks from the bottom of the league right up until uh, up to 17. There's only five points that separate with two games to go. So no one's actually officially down yet. Um, So I wouldn't say it's a poorer league. I'd just say it's become more competitive. Um, The top four was done a couple of weeks ago, which was pretty early, which is a shame. I thought that might go down to the wire if anything. Um, but overall, it's been one of them seasons where anyone's pretty much beaten anyone and you can't really predict any results. And I wouldn't say that's specifically because a team's been poorer than last year or not performing up to standards. I just think the league as a whole has improved. If you look at somewhere like the Premier League, for example, if the Watford beat you know, Chelsea, oh, it's because the Premier League's great great competition, anyone could beat anyone such high standard, but when it happened in Serie A, it's just because it's a, mm. it's a poor league and I, I just think that's it's just a lazy comment to make, in my personal opinion on that, I just think that the league's improving compared to what it was a few years ago when Juventus were just dominating and it was pretty it was just boring to watch, I'll admit that now there's so many exciting teams to watch there's some great young managers um, coming through, or not necessarily young like unexperienced managers coming through. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's great to watch. And I wouldn't say that Milan are top of the league um, due to the fact that the league's poor. I just think it's there on merit and it's a more competitive league now. Yeah, no, I agree 100% in that regard, like you say. I mean, although we're not seeing the usual uh, total points for a, for a champion, even if, obviously, Milan win their two final games, they'll finish on 86 points. And generally, you would associate a champion with getting at minimum 90 points. But, as you say, it has been a lot more competitive this season. I would say it's been the most uh, exciting league out of the top five uh, this season, in my opinion. Um, as you say, Juventus were a tricky one to sort of decide at the start of the season. I think most people, including myself, tipped them to win it just because of Max Allegri. But we've seen that their problems sort of lie deeper than that. But, as you say, there are a, a lot more competitive teams now throughout the league. There seems to be a little bit more uh, finances as well available to, to certain clubs, which means they're able to hold on to certain players, they're able to compete for other players as well. So it, it all points to good to good things and obviously it's the complete opposite of what we've seen in uh, in both France and Germany. And as you say, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way of looking at it, but uh, in terms of if you do go on to win the title, how how big of an of an achievement do you think it would be, and where do, do you think that it could propel 
Milan back, obviously, to you know, basically challenging for the title year in, year out, and you know, actually being competitive in the Champions League? Or do you think it's, it could generally be a, a one-off season and they'll sort of revert back to just qualifying for the top four? Um, I personally think that if we win the league, even if we don't win the league this year, but especially if we win it, um, Milan's a household name and it's just going to keep attracting the top players in Europe, top young players. Everyone has always wanted to play for Milan, maybe not in the last five or six years, but Milan's always been that team where players growing up will have thought, I want to play for your Milan, I want to play for your Barcelona, teams of that era of the players kind of growing up now. Um, and I think winning the league, it could actually spark a similar dominance to what we saw with Juventus over the last decade. I'm not saying we're going to go on and win nine straight titles because I think that's a crazy achievement, especially with um, how much better the league's getting now. But um, I do think it'll do a lot for us. I think more players will want to join. I think it'll be crucial for our Champions League run. Um, being in pot one, it obviously gives you such a more favourable draw. If you look at what we got this year by finishing by entering in pot four, we had Liverpool, Atletico, Porto and first time back in the Champions League with such a young squad, it was always going to be an ask to get out of that. Even though I think at times we gave a good account of ourselves, there was also a lot of big learning experiences for us in that in the group stage. So going forward, I think it's going to give the young lads so much belief and confidence to really step it up a couple of gears, go on to win the title, make sure I could definitely see that happening. Um, especially continuing with Pioli because he's done a miraculous job. And then um, for the Champions League, being in pot one, if you get a favourable draw, I think we could easily get into the round of 16 quarterfinals next year because that's always been our competition, something that as a club we've always wanted to win. We've won the second most um, in Europe on it. So, yeah, I think that's where it'll take us if we win the league this year. Yeah, I think obviously there'll be people who have divided opinions on that one, but it leads me nicely sort of onto the last area in which we want to talk about, and that would be the summer transfer window. Obviously, we know that Frank Kessie's on his way out. Um, in terms of you know the, that AC Milan starting eleven, I don't know about you, I, I feel like it's it's getting there. They've got they've almost got a settled back four. They've got a really, really good goalkeeper, considering obviously losing Donnarumma was signalled as obviously a big loss, but they've done extremely well to, you know, replace him. Uh, obviously, Sandro Tonali has been, been excellent all season. I feel like it's more in the attacking areas where Milan are going to be looking to improve upon. I mentioned earlier that right wing position, obviously, they've got Alexis Salamakas, who is a fantastic player, don't get me wrong, but whenever I've watched him, he doesn't strike me as someone who is an out-and-out attacking winger. He looks more defensively minded. He doesn't look as technically good as some other sort of wingers, elite wingers anyway. Um, obviously, there's the striking situation. You've got uh, Olivier Giroud and, and Zlatan, who are both getting on now a little bit. Um, I don't believe Zlatan has even decided his future quite yet. But in in your opinion, where do they need to strengthen uh, primarily, and are there any players that you feel would would, they, would would number one come to the club and number two improve them significantly? I think my expectations and who I think will come to the club totally depends on the sale 
of the club if it happens and if um, the new owners are potentially going to give Maldini Mazzara a big budget to work with. Um, the strike one's obviously a big one. We're, we're challenging for the title, nearly won it. Um, and we've only got one player that scored more than 10 goals this season. And that's kind of unheard of in a title challenging side. So I think the striking issue is a massive one. Um, obviously, Divock Origi's on his way up for the club. It's all pretty much confirmed, bar a couple of signatures. Um, I think that's such an underrated signing, especially on a free transfer. Big game player. Um, I think he'll adapt really easily to the league. Um, so I think that's going to be one key to us pushing on for the title again next season. Um, right wing, it's always hit and miss. Different opinions on Salamakers and Macias. I think Salamakers is a great system player for how Pioli wants to play. It kind of gives... With our left-hand side being so attacking in Teo Hernandez, Leal, Rebic, it kind of gives a balance on the right-hand side to be a bit more defensive. We definitely need a more attacking right-winger. I've said that um, all season. But I still think Salamakas has a big part to play in the team in terms of his defensive contribution, the way that he presses. It's a big part of Pioli's game. And his stats, obviously... That's the kind of generation we're living in now where stats mean everything and they need to improve if he wants to be a starting player. But the two key areas definitely would be the striker role, the right wing, and then probably a number 10. Diaz just hasn't hit it this year. He had a great September, got COVID and he's completely fallen off. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think other than that, we're pretty much covered. I think the defence is fantastic with Pierre coming back. Romagnoli's talking about staying um, there's rumours there that he's going to reject Lazio, stay with us, and Sven Botman of Lille incoming. So we're going to have a fantastic defence. I'm not worried about that in the slightest. Um, if we get to keep San- if we get Sanchez from Lille also to replace Kessie, our midfield's mm-hmm. pretty good because we've got um, Yaskin Adley returning from Bordeaux, who's been on loan, Pobega from Torino returning. So we've got we've got quite a good. Up until you get to the attacking third, where maybe the right wing needs improving, the number 10 in striker, we're pretty much set for next season with the arrival of potentially Rige. Um I don't think it's going to be too much to do in the summer. If we can get the deals done early and a full pre-season of the new arrivals, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I did see something a little interesting earlier today. Obviously, Paolo Dybala is on his way out of Juve and he's been heavily linked obviously with Inter as well as um, Atletico Madrid and a few Premier League clubs as well but I, I saw today as well that he has been linked to Milan as well would would that be something that Milan would entertain and do you think the fans would would be happy with that? I think the fans would bite your hand off on it um, regardless of the fact of where he's coming from um, he's a fantastic player um, mm-hmm. There's very few players that can come from a rival club and kind of you accept him with open arms and he's definitely one of them. He's such a good player. Putting him in the number 10 role, you could play him out wide at times. Um, I just think he fits the system perfectly. Uh, that'd be an absolute dream signing. I do genuinely believe now he's on his way to Inter. Although if we win the league and the takeover happens fairly early, once the season's completed and we can get in there with Dybala, I, I won't count us out of it. And then there's also the rumours of us getting the Leipzig forward. Um, is it? I, I couldn't say his name. I do apologise. Nkunku? 
Nkunku, there's rumours of us going after him. So if we can add someone like that, also, mm-hmm. we're, we're in for a terrific summer. Um, but I do genuinely believe it depends on the new ownership and if we're in the league and what the what the budget could be. Because I think anyone would want to join this Milan side because we play good attacking football. We're a really young side. We've got a great coach. Um, and it's Milan at the end of the day. We're still one of the, the powerhouse names of European football. And especially if we can be competing in the Champions League year on year, I don't think we'll have a problem recruiting anyone. Yeah, no, 100%. And before before we wrap up on Serie A, um, one last question, actually, to you, Jan. And that's, regard, that's actually a question we've had from one of our listeners regarding um, the Milan and in a stadium. Um, obviously, we we sorted as, uh, the designs not too long ago. Uh, and obviously, you being a Milan fan, you'll be a lot more up to date with it than any of us. Do you, What is the latest, basically, on that? Is there a certain date or year in mind that that's set to be completed and obviously when there's a transition from the San Zero to the new ground likely to happen? Um, again, I just think now it completely depends on the new ownership. There was talks of it being um, started in the next couple of years ready for, I can't remember exactly if it was 2025 or 2027, around that time that's when the new stadium would be built and ready for use. Um, but with the new owners coming in, they want to build a stadium. Inter don't necessarily have the funds to do that. And the potential new owners are more than happy just to go ahead and build the stadium without Inter and leave them at the San Siro, which it's an iconic stadium. If you ever get the chance to visit, you've, it's one of them stadiums that you've got to visit once in your lifetime. But it also does have its downsides. It's not up to a good standard anymore. And to be a modern club that wants to attract the big players in Europe. You need a new stadium, you need the fund you need the money that a new stadium like a Tottenham Hotspur, the Emirates uh, kind of generates and mm-hmm. that's where it's got to go. And hopefully if the new owners come in and they decide to leave into in the dust, I reckon we could potentially see it in the next three years. But it really does just depend on the ownership and what's to come there. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously there there's some big things to look out for over the next couple of months, obviously, in regards to, to both Milan sides and Serie A in general. But that just about wraps up Serie A for this week. So big thank you, Chan, for coming on anyway and taking the time no today, mate. Thank and obviously we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be watching anyway the last couple of games and, and seeing where we're at. So uh, cheers, mate, anyway, and we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, guys. Cheers, dude. Righty-ho, on to the next league to talk about then. Spain, Mr. Page. There's not too much not like there's not too much left to play for apart from maybe relegation. Uh, a couple of teams down there could still yet stay up or could still go down vice versa. And obviously Real Madrid have wrapped up the title now for the yep. last sort of few weeks, if not few months really. And the top four was sort of petering on the edge, but now that looks pretty much done and dusted as well. Uh, it looks like Atletico and Barca and Sevilla are going to fill those places now. So, really, it's the relegation left to play for, as we said. So, what can you tell us in that regard? Yeah, so, obviously, Levante, they're down in the bottom three at the moment. They, they were the first game this weekend. They took on Real Sociedad, who... Um, they can still, well, they can, they can get, they can get. Um, they're in the Europa League spaces. 
if they do miss out, then that's that's kind of uh, down to them really. But they have lost the last four games with Sociedad, including this one against Levante. It was um two two one they won. Also, they boosted their chances of survival with Levante. This right now they're rock bottom because Deportivo are playing at the moment. I'll get on to more of that later on um, in my in my um, in my review. But yeah, they so they won two one. Uh, vital three points for for Levante. Real Sociedad, they're going to probably have to settle for Europa League for the third season in a row. Um, Levante's next game is actually against Real Madrid tomorrow, so I'd imagine that Real Madrid will probably be resting some players again um, ahead of the Champions League final. But you still have some established stars there, so you know if Levante can win that game, then they got two two more games to to try and stay up. So. We get to look out for that one there. Uh, Mallorca and Granada, they took on each other on the Saturday. Uh, this was like a relegation 6.0 as there was only one point that separ- separated both teams before they played. It's probably the game of the weekend. Um, Granada actually started off the start scoring with Luis Suarez. Uh, he scored from the corner six minutes in. 20 minutes later, Salva Sevilla scored a well-taken long-range shot from outside of the box. Granada then in the second half, just like the first half, scored um, a minute into the second half, uh, making it 3-1. Mallorca did make it 3-2, but in the end, Granada ran out 6-2 winners with second half substitute. Um, yeah, sorry, second half substitute Jorge Molina, he's obviously the veteran. In, in the game, came off the bench and got two goals and two assists. So that obviously now makes him the oldest player to ever score in La Liga. Um, he beat Danny Alves uh, two months ago, who was 38 at the time when he scored in a 4-2 win against Atletico Madrid back in February. So he only he only turned 30 uh, about a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sorry, not 30. He turned 40 a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, he's now the oldest uh, goal scoring um, the Liga history, and also another fact: uh, this was Granada's biggest ever away win in, in the league. The last time they scored six in a, in a league game was back when they were in the Liga Two, and that was back in December 2010. So yeah, they're not a team known for scoring a, a lot of goals in the league, but yeah, that was their biggest win. So yeah, they won six two on the weekend, and then they played yesterday and they uh, at home against Athletic Club. And they ran out 1-0 winners, so they've got a bit of a cushion now from the relegation zone, um, being unbeaten in the last four games, I believe. So, yeah, they they go five points clear from the drop zone, as I mentioned. Uh, Alex Calado, he got the only goal of the game in the first half. Uh, Next game was was a boring 0-0 draw, Athletic Club against Valencia. Cadiz, uh, they're obviously... The fight and relegation as well. They got a crucial three points against Elche. They actually, it was actually nil-nil until the second half. Elche went down to ten men with a straight red card. And then in the last ten minutes, all of their goals came. Uh, Negredo, Sorbino, and Lozano got all three goals for their victory. Celta Vigo, they t- they took on Deportivo, and they won four-nil. Uh, which makes Deportivo's chances of survival a bit slim after that result. Iago Aspas, their top goal scorer, Celta Vigo, he got a brace in that game. And currently, Deportivo, they're playing 
Espanyol is currently 2-1 to Deportivo, so if they can hold on to this win, there's only 10 minutes left, that will that will, that will boost their chances of survival. Still maybe slim, but depending on other results. So yeah, that game's 2-1, Espanyol are down to 10 men, so we'll see what happens at the end of that game there. Next game was Real Betis, they took on Barcelona, Real Betis lost 2-1. Injury time winner from George Diabo, a lovely volley from inside the box, made it 2-1 uh, with virtually the last kick of the game. Yesterday, Betis, though, they bounced back, beating Valencia 3-0. So, like, like you mentioned before, Ryan, they still have a slim chance of getting the Champions League spots, but it all depends on what Atletico Madrid do uh, the next three games. They really should have tried to have beaten Barcelona or gotten a point from that game to have a bit of a better chance, but... It is what it is there. Getafe, they drew nil nil right over the Cano. Both teams are safe, so none of them will be going down, so they haven't really got nothing to play for. Villarreal nearly did win 1-0 against Sevilla, but Jules Kunde, he got an injury time equaliser to make it 1-1. So it looks like Villarreal will probably have to focus on getting Europa Conference League or Europa League. So probably Europa League, but we'll see there. Espanyol, they drew 1-1 with Osasuna. And in the last game... On the weekend was the Madrid derby um, at the Wanda Metropolitano. Atletico Madrid won 1-0. Real Madrid, they made seven changes. Um, it was a pretty good derby, to be fair. Obviously, Real Madrid haven't got anything to play for, but these games are usually always good. You know, a lot of tackles flying in, yellow cards. And, yeah, there was um, quite a lot of good chances there. Obviously, Yannick Carrasco, he got the only goal of the game in the first half, which was a penalty. Um, so, quickly, uh, there was obviously... A couple of games yesterday. I'll quickly just run through those ones. Uh, like I said, Robert is they won 3 0 against Valencia. Bernardo got another win against Athletic Club 1 0. Barcelona, they also played yesterday. They beat Celta Vigo 3 1. Diago Asplas was on the score sheet, but it was already 3 0 by then, so the game was pretty much done. Abamian got two goals, and Memphis Depay also was on the score sheet. And currently, right now, Osasuna drawing one all with Getafe. That's in the last 10 minutes of that game. And as I mentioned before, Deportivo, if they can hold on, that'll be a crucial three points. It's still 2-1 at the moment. 10 minutes left in that one. And Sevilla, they have literally just kicked off against Mallorca. They haven't really got much to play for Sevilla, so it's more so Mallorca as they are in the bottom three. So if they if they win that... They'll, they'll boost their chances of survival. And then the next, then at 8.30, we've got Elche taking on Atletico Madrid. Uh, Real Sociedad, they're taking on Cadiz tomorrow, as well as Rio Vallecano against Villarreal, and like I mentioned before, Real Madrid against Levante. So at the bottom of the table, as it stands right now, Levante are rock bottom before their game tomorrow on 29 points. Deportivo, if they hold on now, they'll be on 31 points. Mallorca have just obviously kicked off now. It's, it's obviously nil-nil. They're on 33 points. So, yeah, it's quite quite um, quite tight down there. Um, a lot of the teams that you think might be down and out, they just keep getting these crazy results. So, I think it'll probably go down to the last day by the looks of things. Um, so, there's only some teams have only got two games left and the games tomorrow some team we've got three so that's what's been going down at the bottom of the table the top seven so Villarreal currently in the conference league places with 53 points Real Sociedad are in sixth with 56 points Real Betis are in fifth on 61 points Atletico Madrid on 64 points 
well, they're still to play later on. So Real Betis are hoping that they drop points there. So the gap's only three points. And then Sevilla at the moment on 66 points as they're drawing. Barcelona after their win yesterday on 72 points. And at the top, obviously, is Real Madrid on 81 points. So, yeah, there's... Um, Probably there's more to play for in the Europa League spots. Uh, as Athletic Club, they've lost the last two. They've not won in the last two games. They're only one point off of the European spots for Conference League and four points off the Europa League spaces. So it'll be out of Sociedad, Villarreal, and Athletic Club to get uh, those European spaces. So yeah, not much has been going on uh, late on in the season. Stuff relegation at the moment to be focusing on. And yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, the season's been like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now that now the boring stuff's out of the way. Jonathan, Deutschland, feed me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's pretty much just down to, at this point, to the European places and who's going to get relegated. So we'll start at the bottom. It's between Hertha and Stuttgart at this point. I mean, before the season started, I didn't really think, you know, Stuttgart even needed to be concerned about the possibility of going down. Now they're three points um, down from Hertha Berlin. You know, while they have a goal differential of just 19 compared to the Capital Club's 33, they just have not been able to score many goals. Sasha Kalajic's had that shoulder injury. He's been out for much of the season, and they haven't gotten a lot of help from elsewhere. But, you know, they've got a big game. They got a huge, huge point against Bayern Munich this past weekend. Um, but they play Cologne, who will, who also has something to play for as they play for a European place, possibly that last Europa League spot. But Cologne look fairly set to go to the Conference League. And Hertha Berlin face Dortmund. So Dortmund's at home. They've locked up the second place in the Bundesliga. So they don't exactly have a lot to play for, especially now with Holland's move to City confirmed. But I still feel like Hertha... Has the edge, Stuttgart getting three points against a very good Cologne team who surprised a lot of people this year as well. I just don't see it in the cards for them. So looks like they'll go into the relegation playoff, possibly against Hamburger SV or another very solid Zweite Bundesliga team that, you know, there are a lot of teams near the top of the table there that are major, major clubs in the Bundesliga. So that's just going to be an electric tie, whether it's against Hertha or whether it's against Stuttgart. Up at the top, Leverkusen has also secured a Champions League place, but it's all about that fourth spot. Leipzig are on 57, Freiburg on 55, and Union Berlin are on 54. Union last weekend went to Freiburg and got a 4-1 victory. Um, each goal was you know, more and more of a dagger into my heart, as a you know, major impact on Freiburg's chances of getting into the Champions League, which you know, for the club to get that type of money for Champions League football would be absolutely life-changing for them as Freiburg now have to go away to Leverkusen. You know, at least Leverkusen have absolutely nothing to play for. They themselves have locked up the number three spot. But Leipzig play to Armenia, who 
at this point are nearly relegated. They have a seven-goal differential to Stuttgart. They need Stuttgart to lose and win at least 8-0. Um, and I don't see that happening against RB Leipzig, especially now that they have something to play for. And Leipzig need Champions League football. It was reported today that Nkuku will most likely stay on if Champions League is secured. Um, they've already re-signed Kevin Campbell as well as a couple other players. So this is a big weekend for them. This is a big weekend for Freiburg. And then for Union Berlin, they play VfL Bochum, who've had a fairly decent start of the season, but at least they get to play that match at home. So I do see Leipzig getting all three points from the Bielefeld game and getting into that fourth spot. I'm going to give Freiburg one point against Leverkusen just because, you know, I have to, a slight bit of bias there, of course. And Union, I'll, I'll let them have three points um, in their home match. So I'll have Union and Freiburg going to the Europa League with Cologne going to the Europa Conference League with Leipzig getting that last and final Champions League spot. And finally, I have Stuttgart in that relegation playoff with Armenia Bielefeld and Firth, who have already been confirmed, going down. That's pretty much it for the Bundesliga. Last match day, match day 34 of the season. Uh, I can't believe the end is so near, but you know, at least we have that Europa League final to look forward to next Wednesday between Frankfurt and Rangers, which is going to be absolutely phenomenal down in Sevilla, that atmosphere. Um, it's going to be insane. So I'm honestly just as excited for that as I am for this weekend. 100%. One thing I didn't actually clock onto as well, that Freiburg are in the DFB Pokal final. Didn't, they didn't know that. Yes, that's going to be a crazy match. I think that match, I want to say, is the 21st, the Saturday um, mm-hmm. after this one, which is it's unbelievable. I think all of Germany will be pulling for Freiburg in that one. Yeah, I was going to say, Red Bull Leipzig aren't the most loved team in the Bundesliga, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even still, it's been a brilliant season for both uh, Union Berlin and Freiburg. Whatever happens on the final day, and although I like Leipzig, I like a lot of their players, I still kind of hope one of Freiburg or Union Berlin sneaks into that fourth spot, because be brilliant to see one of those into the Champions League for next season. And yeah, in terms of sort of the league table, really, I mean, not too many sort of shocks here and there, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, one thing, actually, though, I do want to talk about, we'll talk about Erling Haaland in a little while, but something actually that uh, Jonathan retweeted earlier on, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, that the potential Dortmund 11 for next season. Now, I looked at this and I, I, I like I like the team. I like the 11. If that's the formation that they would be looking to play, I like it. Now, Jonathan didn't like it. So <laughs> explain to me, Jonathan, why you don't like it. Well, I'll start at the top. I really don't think they have a true number nine, which I think you really need to be successful in the Bundesliga. Obviously, Lewandowski, Patrick Schick has really improved Leverkusen's side. Um, Leipzig has several options up top with Yusuf Paulsen and Andre Silva. And with Holland outs, 
you know, Dortmund just have so many wingers. They've got Malin, they've got Ademi, who are, Adeyemi, who are both kind of hybrid winger attacker players. And then with Reina, Hazard, and a bunch of other guys coming from the outside, I'd like to see them, you know, buy somebody who can play that tap-in role this summer. But again, you know, we'll have to reevaluate after all their summer transfers are done. Um, I really hope they're not finished with their work so far. I do like what they've done to the defense. Um, I really hope Marco Rosa goes into a back three and gets Guerrero. And if they do stick with Mounier, who I don't think is their best option on the right, you know, pushing them further up on the wing seems to be the new type of football that really works in German, German football. Um, and of course, Jude Bellingham's phenomenal. But if they could get a number six, I've said it a few times, they need that sort of Dennis Zakaria hybrid type of player who's lengthy, athletic, and who can just do a lot of running. I mean, Emery Chan for me, is is more of a pure defender. I know he's flexible. I know he can play in the midfield and drop back and help out as a center back. But I still just don't think this is good enough to beat Bayern Munich especially now that Bayern has added Masraoui from Ajax, who will take over in the right-back spot, which will, I guess, move Benjamin Pavard more into a center-back position. And they've got several more midfield replacements coming. So, you know, this isn't the end for Dortmund. What we're looking at now is their possible starting eleven, but there's still some holes that need to be filled. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, obviously, it looks like Bayern, along with uh, Masraoui, are going to be adding Brian Gravenberch as well to that midfielder another player coming from Ajax. So that'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Because obviously we spoke about it last week and the fact that Bayern don't have an abundance of young talent. But it looks like they're sort of putting that right a little bit now. And I would agree that looking at that starting level, just to give it into context for the for the listeners who might not have seen it, it the starting eleven was uh, Kobel in goal, uh, Nicolas Sula centre-back with Mats Hummels at centre-back, and uh, Schlotterbeck uh, centre-back, I've probably just butchered that name. Um, and it would be a midfield of sort of Guerrero on the left, Jude Bellingham, Emre Chan, Thomas Munia on the right, with Marco Royce just in that little pocket with Marlon and Adiemi as the two strikers. Now, on paper, it looks a good team, but I would agree they do need to bring in a striker. Um, and they definitely need another midfielder to go alongside Bellingham because I don't believe Chan is good enough when I've seen him. Obviously, I, I, I believe um, Axel Witzel is already leaving the club in the summer. So they don't have tremendous depth there either. So I do agree that they need to add to it. But if they can add to it, I do feel like they can challenge by next season, uh, not just be, you know, three points, six points, nine points off them, uh, you know, throughout the whole season. I do genuinely feel that they can definitely, yeah, get close to Bayern. A lot closer than they currently are anyway. But it'll be an interesting summer regardless of what they do. But that's all from the land of Germany. Back to the land of England for the Premier League. Hi, guys. Um, Once again, sorry I can't be with you for the next couple of weeks. Uh but yeah, just my thoughts on the weekend just gone. Um, gutted is one word to say about it. Um, I mean, that loss, sorry, that draw against Spurs to me felt like a loss. It really did. 
um, and compound that with the 5-0 win for City the following day, which was definitely inspired by that result on Saturday. Um, yeah, I think it is gutting. But can I be too disheartened? No, because we're still in three finals. And the fact is that it was at 1.14 points between um, the two sides. So just to get back even in contention for the league, I think I'm quite proud of. Um, because we all know we can't compete with City's depth in the league. Uh, but yeah, I think we can look at that game as a the game we lost the league. But I think also you got to look at the draws against Brighton and Brentford. Um, when we were two goals up against Brighton, home, let that slip. Um, I hate using that word. Um, and yeah, I think it's just down to too many draws against lower sides, especially in that first half. Look at the loss against West Ham, the draw against Brentford away from home where we were was it 1-0 and 2-1 and those, like, the crazy game, that was 3-3, I think. And so overall, um, yeah, I think I can't be too disheartened because we are still, you know, in three finals. We've already won one. Hopefully we'll win two more. Um, so yeah, I think it's been a good season all around, whatever happens. And, and yeah, hopefully we just don't end the season with just one trophy. Uh, but yeah, hope, hope, hope you all well. Um, and I'll look forward to being back with you boys um, early June. Take care. Obviously the big news this week, Erling Haaland has unfortunately made the decision to go to Manchester City. A prediction that our Lord Commander Andrew Davis made quite a long time ago has unfortunately happened for the rest of the 19 Premier League clubs because this transfer, for me, is one of the biggest we've seen in Premier League history. This is a goal-scoring machine. And at his age, how much they've paid for him as much as Sky Sports want to play that down, it's a phenomenal sign. And to beat, it's ridiculous. Know, to beat a whole host of other big clubs as well for his signature. You know, in my opinion, he probably had options to go anywhere he wanted: Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG. Uh, obviously, I think I think he could have even gone to Bayern if he really wanted to. But the fact that he's gone to City, I know he's got a little bit of a family root sort of in Manchester, Manchester kind of thing, but and England as a whole. But it's still brilliant business for for Manchester City to pull off. And uh, I am gen- genuinely scared next season. I'm not going to lie. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know what, I imagine you you two feel the same way. Obviously, Naeem's a, an Arsenal fan. Jonathan doesn't have a, have a team in the Premier League. But how damaging is this to the other 19 clubs in the in the Premier League? I reckon it's quite damaging if he can stay fit, I'd say. Um, mm. I, know, I know this season he's been injured for uh, been injured on the sidelines for a bit, so if he can adapt well and like, keep his injuries to a minimum, then with the amount of chances City create, yeah, he'll, he'll just um, fit in there nicely, so I, I think it was either going to be out of Real Madrid or City to get him, but Obviously, Real Madrid, they've got Benzema, so I don't think... I think once he leaves Man City, he probably will go to Real Madrid. I think he's going to be here for a couple of years. And then mm. once he's in his mid-20s, then, yeah, Real Madrid will probably come in for him and Man City will still be able to make a a profit on him. But, yeah, this all, this all depends, really. Like it's, it's like with Lukaku. Everyone thought he'd come back and rip the league up, but obviously we know what happened there. But Everyone he, apart from me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I knew. You saw it before everyone else. Um, I saw the well, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a great signing. I'm, obviously, I'm jealous. I love. It's a great. He's one of the uh, greatest strikers um, in the world right now. So yeah, um, it's good for Man City. 
Will it take them over the line in the Champions League? We'll see. Because you know what Pep's like. Mm, he, always overthink, he, he always overthinks something or... I don't know, man. He just... He's, he's good he's good in the league, but when it comes to the Champions League, I don't know. It's just There's just something wrong there. But if, if he can come in and win in the Champions League, then, yeah, he'll go down in history. But I reckon, yeah, it's all dependent on if he can stay fit. If he doesn't, then he just might be a flop. But that's that's just me wanting that to happen. But, yeah, no. We'll, we'll, we'll see anyway. We can already see it next season. This, around this time, Champions League final... Erling Haaland playing defensive midfield against <laughs> someone or other. I think people also need to remember, I mean, Julian Alvarez is also coming over from River Plate as another striker. So, I mean, Manchester City fans, of course, complaining, oh, they didn't have a number nine. You know, for this season, now they have two coming in, obviously. Alvarez is more of a project at at 22, maybe not as proven you know, on a world-class basis as Erling Holland is, but it's it's nice to have him as sort of a background player, especially with Gabriel Jesus, you know, right on his way to Arsenal and Erling Holland, you know, probably going to be injured at least a few different stretches this year. So that is my one concern for him as well, is those injuries because he plays with such an aggressive style um, you know, I really hope it's simply because Dortmund, the Dortmund trainers and the Dortmund staff are just rushing him back too fast and he can't fully recover from these injuries. I really hope that's the problem because at his age to have so many of these calf issues, of these hip issues, of these, you know, s- simple little knocks, not exactly major, major in- injuries um, is extremely concerning. But yeah, it's when you picture him healthy, surrounded by all those Great wingers, those great midfielders, as well as a solid defense. I mean, I don't know what the rest of the Premier League is going to do for 50 million euros or whatever number they eventually decide on in a few weeks or in a few months, whenever that eventually gets figured out. Um, it's still going to be a steal at the end of the day. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you've got some some people changing the narrative on this one, uh, especially especially on Sky Sports, obviously, where they said. Well, actually, the true cost of it is two hundred and fifty odd million. Well, when you you know when you when you add on wages and sign on fees and blah blah, you could say that with every single bloody transfer. You know, people people were last season were going crazy about Ronaldo going for free, and they kept saying that was a free transfer. Well, it <laughs> wasn't a free transfer. He's probably cost more than Haaland at the end of the day. So there needs to be some you know agenda here. Anyway, but it's, it's it's brilliant business. It's the sign of the summer already. It's all no no nobody will beat that, nope. in my opinion. Um, obviously, the second coming of Christ is coming to Arsenal. Hopefully, <laughs> if, we could, if we could get it over the line, that would be great business for us. But I mean, that is the only question mark with 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 Erling Haaland. Obviously, them those injuries and especially in. In the Premier League, uh, I don't watch much of the Bundesliga, but I don't know how how physical uh, it is over over in Germany compared to what it is in the Premier League. I don't know if we'll get you know a few more kicks, a few more shoves, and whatnot um, over here, obviously. And again, I don't know about the, the schedule, and I, I reckon he'll play a lot more games uh, for City, obviously being involved in all these competitions throughout the season as well, obviously. 
it's four more games played in the Premier League than what there are in the Bundesliga. So we've got to take that into consideration. But yeah, it's uh, it's still scary business. But again, I think it's one that many anticipated for sort of the last coming weeks and and if not months, it was always rumoured there or thereabouts. And yeah, it still doesn't uh, still hurts to see it. And you know who I'm pissed off at most about all of this? Martin Odegaard. He's supposed to be his best mate, and yet he still couldn't convince him to come to Arsenal and to play for the great Mikel Arteta in front of our glorious stadium. <laughs> Joke. Doesn't deserve to be our next captain. So are, um, you, are you saying then that now that you have the second coming of Christ by the name of Gabriel coming into the club that you need to give Odegaard up as a sacrifice for this sort of Christ-like figure that's coming in because he didn't bring <laughs> Erling Holland into Arsenal? I think so. Um, I think that's fair. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably give up Odegaard more than I would Saka or Smith-Rowe just because they're a little bit more... Um, I don't know, don't know what the word is, but yeah, I, I, no, I, I then again, Odegaard had a had a brilliant season, so it's a hard. I think I, I think I would I'd say Granite Shaka. <laughs> I'd say I'd say with a with a heavy heart, I'd be willing to give up Granite Shaka for Gabriel Jesus. But again, even if we get him, there's no guarantee he'll be a great signing for us. We never know, but. Water on the subject of Arsenal. Thursday evening at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tottenham Hotspur against Arsenal. A win for Arsenal. Seals Champions League. Done and dusted. Even a point would almost get us there. We're five points. Uh, no. Are we? F- yeah. Are we four, four points on. Four points in front. We're four points. Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, we are four points clear of Tottenham. And obviously, they desperately need to win. But even if they win, it's still an advantage to us, even though we have the slightly tougher fixtures to play over the last two match days. But for me, again, full bias, it would be a brilliant season for us to get the top four. Because I do not know one single person, including myself, that predicted Arsenal to get into the top four. There were certain members of the YouTube community that we will not mention um, that, that didn't even have Arsenal in their top 10. They had Leeds, Aston Villa, <laughs> Leicester, all above us. And where are they now? They're in hiding. That's where they are. And I'm not going to out them, but yeah, wonderful season. When I saw that video of these people who we shall not name, I I couldn't believe that was that was actually real. I get, you know, maybe putting Arsenal towards, you know, a little further back in the table, but to have Leeds and Aston Villa up there. Anyways, we won't talk about it anymore. No, I I, I did genuinely think it was a parody at first, and then I realised that it's not a parody and that these were serious people with serious youtube channels serious subscribers and i was i i was blown away quite frankly but again we will not mention them uh because we don't want to hurt andy's feelings but (laughs) in terms of the relegation zone now it's very interesting down there 
because you have Leeds, obviously who got beat at the weekend by Arsenal on 34 points. With a, losing one nil as well, down to ten men again. Oh, okay. That makes it. Dan James red card. <laughs> uh, shit player. Um, <laughs> you got Leeds, obviously on thirty four, currently losing. You've got Burnley on thirty four, but with a much better goal difference. And then you've got Everton in sixteenth. Now, I personally think Everton are now safe, especially with if Leeds do lose tonight, because. Obviously, Everton and Burnley will then both have games in hand on Leeds. So I think my prediction from last week of Leeds going down is going to come true. And quite frankly, although I like Leeds as a place, I'll be happy because it means that there will be some potential bargains up for grabs from that team. Obviously, Rafinha will be the big one because from what I'm led to believe... If they go down, several of their star players have release clauses that kick in all around the £30 million mark. Now, these include the likes of, obviously, Rafinha. Calvin Phillips is another big one. Um, I don't know any, too many more of their sort of outstanding players, but those two in particular, I think Rafinha would probably go to Barcelona. I think that's the club where he's been linked with the most, and mm. especially if they can pick him up on a low transfer feel like that it's a no-brainer really for those for them I mean Calvin Phillips would be would would be definitely one to look at um obviously a big lead supporter as well so it would be interesting to see if he would kind of uh jump ship but what what do you do you think do you think it is now leads going down well a couple, couple of weeks ago it looked like Evan were certain to go down but they seem to be picking up a few. Um, well, looking here, they've well three of the last five games they've won. And if you look at Leeds, they've lost their last two. And they've only won one. So I think, I think they will be safe. But I reckon it'll be. I think it'll be Leeds. They just they just concede too many goals. I'm looking at it now. They've conceded the same amount of goals as Norwich, 75. So yeah, the goal the goal difference isn't in their favour. You know, the level points with Burnley at the moment, but. I think I think yeah I think it's their time. They had, they had a good little run in when um, Jesse March came in um, after Bielsa got sacked. But yeah, they're just yeah they're just going back to the old ways now. And yeah, I reckon they'll go down now. <laughs> I should just see Norwich's goal difference. <laughs> Minus fifty three. That's an embarrassment. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Even for a team on twenty two points. I think there should be a clause that they, they can't get promoted for the next five years, man. Just let someone else get promoted, man. It's <laughs> just, just, just shocking. But, yeah, I mean, it was only a couple of months ago. Newcastle were odds-on to go down, and now they're yeah. playing like prime Barcelona. Jalinton is prime Iniesta in that midfield. So <laughs> it's um it's madness how things, how things suddenly change. But, again, it's... Uh, it's been a great season regardless, I think. Mm. We've had battles. You know, Nobody thought we would have a title battle. We've got one for how much longer, we don't know. Sorry, Andy. Um, <laughs> top four, again, still still up for grabs. Uh, thankfully, Man United fell away, so we ain't got to worry about them. But, as you say, there's just been... It's just flip-flopped so much this season. But, again, that's what we want to see. We want to see mm. you know, things changing. We want to see the drama 
of the Premier League anyway. It's what makes it the most watched league in the world. But I think just about wraps us up for this week. Um, obviously, there's some games playing tonight. We mentioned, obviously, the Premier League games. Obviously, Chelsea are 1-0 up away to Leeds. Leeds with that man sent off. Well, boy sent off. But you've got Leicester and Norwich. Again, nothing to play for. 0-0. You've got Watford against Everton. Massive, massive game. That's 0-0 as well currently. Uh, the Coppa Italia final. Something I didn't mention earlier. Disgraceful of me to not mention it. But Inter Milan are currently 1-0 up. Uh, yeah, literally just scored. <laughs> yeah, eight minutes in, Nicolo Barella has put Menezes Zuri ahead in that game. With obviously Juve's last chance at any kind of silverware this season. So well, that's very interesting to see. Uh, in terms of the sort of games at the weekend, you've got the FA Cup final on Saturday between Chelsea and Liverpool. We have the start of the playoffs as well. Sheffield United against Nottingham Forest. A whole host of Serie A games. Bundesliga games, league on games, leading on to Sunday where we've got a lot of Premier League games uh, and annoyingly a lot of Spanish games. Before we wrap up, I just want to say a big fuck off to La Liga. Yeah, for, yeah, 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 yeah. For 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 not announcing properly the fact that their last two match days. Every single game will be on at the same time, which means we have not been able to plan a game that we've been planning to go to for a long time. Yeah. And frustratingly enough, it looks like we are going to miss that one. So if anyone from the headquarters of La Liga are listening, which <laughs> they're probably not, then can you get your shit together and start actually preparing your fixtures a little bit better? And the same actually goes for Serie A. And Liga, because it seems Germany and England are the only two leagues that have any competence in this area. <laughs> so that but, means we're not going to Spain, Italy, <laughs> or oh. <laughs> just just annoyed me. It really has annoyed me. But yeah, I think again wraps us up for this week. Big thank you as ever to Naeem and Jonathan for coming on again today. I have been your not so gracious host Ryan this week and hopefully in a couple of weeks time Mr Davis will return and hopefully we'll hear from Alex as well regarding France a league that nobody cares about in the coming (laughs) weeks as well so wraps us up nicely for this week thank you all for listening ever so much and until next time that'll be us